I've got a great guest today, Congressman Eric Swalwell, uh, one of the leading members, one of the up and coming future face, current and future faces of the Democratic Party. Uh, he ran for president in 2020, uh, member of the House Judiciary Committee, uh, House Homeland Security, until recently, House Intelligence Committee. Well, committee, we'll talk about that. And all of our good friends on the other side of the aisle, uh, he was an impeachment manager in the second impeachment, Very one of the main characters in the first impeachment. Um, we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, thanks for being here, Congressman. I really appreciate it. I've been a big fan for years. It's the same here. I always enjoy, uh, you know, when you're on Morning Joe or other uh, or Stephanie or other programs. So I'm glad we're connecting. Yeah, no, it's it's a lot of fun. So meanwhile, you you just said off camera. This is very topical. This will be probably airing in a week or so. But today that we're, we're taping it, uh, we had something happen that hasn't happened since uh, 2008. We've got a bank failing in, in your neck of the woods in California. And as you just said, people are freaking out out here. Talk to me about what's going on on the ground out there. Yeah, I, I represent Silicon Valley, uh, part of it, and uh, Silicon Valley Bank, you know, has failed, uh, and uh, people are freaking out. Uh, you know, the FDIC, as you know, uh, will insure up to $250,000 of deposits, uh, but there are billions more that are not going to be covered. So uh, if, if you're a small startup and you've got, you know, a team of, you know, 25 to 30 people, um, you may have a hell of a time making payroll. And, and so I'm, I'm hoping that right now, you know, Treasury, uh, you know, through the FDIC, will at least consider tempor- temporarily insuring you know deposits uh, beyond two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. As we seek to find out, you know, how how the hell did something like this happen after two thousand eight, two thousand nine, where I think we put you know some of the best you know uh, you know stress test mechanisms and uh, restrictions on banks that have avoided something like this for the last uh, fifteen years. What's so scary is uh, this might not be a one-off, and you've got a lot of banks in the position in terms of with, with interest rates, where they've been, and what's going on, and, and uh, scary, scary stuff, to say the least. I mean, as I said, I don't believe, unfortunately, this is a, a one-off. Donnie, I hope it is. Uh, if it's not, you're right. We may have to go back to uh, you know rewriting you know some of these laws. I, I, I thought we'd gotten it right, uh, you know, we, and we were able to survive COVID, I believe, in part because we did get it right. Uh, in 2008, uh, 2009. And, and then in COVID, uh, you know, we eliminated much of the underwriting that you would do for the paycheck protection plans based on what we learned from 08, 09. Uh, we allowed the banks to essentially be the vetters because uh, we figured you were already vetted through your bank. And that allowed us to put a lot of capital into uh, businesses that needed it the most. So uh, we'll see. There's much to learn here. Uh, and we're all scrambling right now. Uh, to learn, you know, what happened and, and what can we do uh, so that we don't have a global collapse. One other news in the week this week, we'll talk about a bunch of current events, but that I want to get to is, and then we're going to go back, I want to start and talk a little bit about your upbringing, uh, some interesting stuff there. But uh, what was your reaction as, as a guy that was there on January 6th when you saw the wonderful Tucker Carlson uh, portraying it as a little tourist waltz through the, the uh, obviously cherry picking you know, a few minutes of footage out of 41,000 hours or whatever it was. What, somebody who was there on the front lines, what was your reaction other than the obvious disgust? Yeah, as I and others left the Capitol that day, um, you know, we were stuck on the floor for a while. You could hear uh, the shouting from the protesters, the smashing of glass. Uh, we had our gas masks in our hand. Uh, we were sheltering in place. And we had alerts on our phone from Capitol Police that pipe bombs were discovered, you know, around the complex. And 
finally, when a route to get out was secured, I remember going through that route, uh, down staircases, through narrow passages, and you could only move as fast as the person or the people in front of you. And so sometimes you would stop and I would be next to a Republican who I very much did not agree with on many things and believe probably had a role uh, in, in what we were experiencing. And, and Donnie, a lot of me thought um, once we got to a, a safe room, uh, a evacuation room, I had hoped that maybe that experience of us leaving the Capitol together in that fashion, you know, from the terror that was outside, uh, would bring us together. And I was an intern on the Hill after on September 11th. I remember watching Republicans and Democrats on the Capitol steps later that day, hand in hand, singing God Bless America. And I thought, well, maybe this is rock bottom for the country and that we will come out of this unified. And here we are, uh, you know, two plus years later, we're anything but unified. And this is an effort to rewrite uh, what happened uh, to validate the rioters and to essentially erase the heroism of uh, the police officers. And, and it's a part of a corrupt bargain that Kevin McCarthy struck to be speaker uh, that has, you know, reoccurring payments. And so the latest payment is this footage to Tucker Carlson. Other payments have included putting Marjorie Taylor Greene, who rooted for the rioters, on the January or on the Homeland Security Committee. So there are going to be future payments that aren't good for the country, aren't good for uh, security, uh, but we're living through this corrupt bargain right now, and that's what happened with the release of this footage. What stuns me is the political stupidity of it. You know, basically to continue to relitigate January sixth and keep it in the news, and keep other than on Fox the footage, the real footage continually to run you're it, it defined we could talk so many of the things that they're doing that are so stupid right now as the party is is held captively by the extreme right is just they are on a losing ticket formula and that that's the part i always thought these guys would get it right okay you lose a few cycles and you wake up and that's not happening and that defies political gravity donnie donald trump's a, a three-time loser now right he, he lost uh the midterms in 18 uh, so they lost the House. He lost the presidency in 20. And he went all in uh, the midterms in 22 uh, and lost. And so he's a three-time loser. And I, I, just like you, I thought, you know, you can be a cult leader in America, but as long as we're a democracy, you can't lead your party when you lose three times in a row. And, and so, yes, to, you know, quadruple down on, on this chaos uh, is crazy uh, because the voters rejected extremism. They threw out in every close contest, uh, the candidate that denied the outcome of the 2020 uh, election. And, and so from a political standpoint, I guess, sure, we, we welcome it. From a democracy standpoint, I, I think uh, we're in a fragile place right now. And, and we're really testing, uh, you know, this democracy by, uh, you know, them not coming to reality with where the voters are. Speaking of where the voters are, you okay? Obviously, the, the the main contender, DeSantis, and obviously he's the the clear front runner to challenge Trump. Even he is not talking about what matters to people. He's not talking about jobs and wages and inflation. I think he's talking still. He's just this that same grievance politics. It's the same thing talking about trans athletes or Dr. Seuss or uh, Disneyland or the things that just don't matter to people. That's this is one on one. I've never run for office. You've spent your life or a big part of your life in office. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out you got to talk about what matters to people, not what matters to you or not what you is going to create a soundbite on Fox News. 
I think the hardest part of our job is distinguishing the signal and the noise. Uh, and DeSantis wants to govern, you know, for the noise. And, and so, you know, he could fire uh, people up over, you know, the 1% of kids who uh, are, you know, trans athletes and, and make every parent uh, who shows up at one of his rallies fear that, you know, their child would be the next Michael Phelps, except for, you know, the trans athlete that is going to uh, compete against them and, and steal their spot. That's that's essentially what he's, you know, doing, as you said, pandering to grievances, stoking fear. Um, but the signal, like we're the great big center where I think most of us live and most people don't have time to show up to a political rally or send a tweet or, you know, go to a town hall. Uh, but they're worried about inflation and the rising cost of uh, gas and groceries. They're worried about crime. Uh, they're worried uh, about China and, you know, what it means for us to compete against China in the 21st century. They're worried about childcare. I've got a five-year-old, a four-year-old, a one-year-old, and it's pretty goddamn expensive to find someone to help you with your kids if you want both parents to be able to work and provide. And and, and they're worried about healthcare costs. Uh, and um, so, yes, I, I think it's not as sexy. It doesn't fire people up uh, who are busy and have other things to do. Um, but those are the issues that my neighbors, my constituents worry about the most. Uh, not in this poll, by the way, uh, that you saw this week from USA Today, uh, that 56 percent of Americans have a different uh, idea of uh, what being woke means than Ron DeSantis. I, I hope that gets him off of you know this obsession uh, yeah. with wokeness. Well, I, I hope he stays on it because it's a losing ticket because he's not talking about what matters. Switching to, to your party for a second, one thing that's kind of puzzled me a bit is Biden, if you are scoring at home, has done a great job. I, I mean, the, the, leg the legislative victories, what, what he's done rallying the world around Ukraine, uh, you can tick off the bills, you know, uh, the climate bill, the Build Back Build Back Better, the Inflation Reduction Act, getting us out of COVID. Um, yet, He's still stuck in a anywhere between 38 and 43% uh, popularity. Is that a, no, that's just where the world is right now and nobody's going to get any bigger credit at any point? Or is this his age? I can't, I can't figure it out because he's really, I got to give him a strong A minus. And, and I was not necessarily, I was critical at the beginning. I was like, he doesn't have his mojo. He doesn't seem to have his arms around thing. But as... He keeps lapping and taking, doing these victory kind of moments. It's why is it not connecting on a deeper level as far as his success? We're a very politically divided country. Uh, Fox News, you know, ha is the largest uh, cable viewership uh, on TV. Not cable news viewership, the largest cable viewership. And, and I think you know the, the plural of anecdote is not data. Uh, but after the State of the Union this year. A Republican friend of mine, um, big duck hunting guy, you know, small government, uh, low taxes is kind of like what he cares about. Um, not a Trump guy, but certainly not going to vote for Biden against anyone else. He called me and he said, you know, I just watched the State of the Union and uh, he said Biden did great. And he's not that was nothing like what I've seen on Fox News. And, and so if you're if you watch the State of the Union, but you've also watched Fox News for the last two years, yeah. all you've seen is dementia, Joe, or tripping, falling off a bicycle, yeah, yeah. Up, uh, uh, you know, the steps to an airplane. And so they would have you believe, as you said, that he, he's not up uh, for the job or he's being led by the quote unquote squad. 
and and I thought my my buddy's uh, take was a good one, which is if you actually listen to him and watch him, you'll see that he's not only still there. I mean, he was kind of jabbing and uh, parrying back and forth with the Republicans uh, yeah. during that speech. Uh, but if all you see is Fox News, then it, it, it's easy to understand why uh, his approval rating is, is hovering, you know, right around fifty percent. On the other side, Trump, it, there was news in New York this week that uh, he's being called to uh, appear before a grand jury, uh, which any legal expert will tell you it means they are about to bring charges. They're not calling in somebody for the sake of it. And that's Bragg's case. And you, of course, are involved in bringing a, a Trump suit. Talk to, talk to us about He's got, you know, it, you have to kind of, I was watching more Joe this morning. They were doing the power rankings of the lawsuits against Trump. You know, which is the most, which is the most disdainful, which is the least. I mean, like we were picking a a, a final four bracket. Talk to me about the, the suit that you've initiated. Yeah, entirely about accountability around January sixth, and uh, I was a part of a small class of people who could even bring the lawsuit that I brought under what's called the Ku Klux Klan Act, uh, which is that. Uh, Donald Trump sought to interfere with an official proceeding that I was a part of, which was counting the Electoral College um, votes. And, and as you know, not every one of my colleagues um, you know, was on the floor at the time because of COVID restrictions. So I saw myself as being a part of a small class that even had this right of action uh, and wants to bring accountability. Uh, so we, we brought it under that theory, as well as you know, your kind of run-of-the-mill, what we call torts. Um, so uh, you know, battery, assault, emotional infliction of uh, um, intentional infliction of emotional distress. Uh, and we survived in the district court. Uh, Donald Trump tried to have it thrown out uh, under the theory that he has absolute immunity. And the judge said that presidents have a lot of immunity. But when you incite and aim a mob at the Capitol full of lawmakers, um, that's outside the boundaries of your immunity. And then uh, we went to the Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, we had a hearing back in December, and the Court of Appeals asked the Department of Justice to weigh in on whether they believed the president had absolute immunity. And, and by the way, Donnie, DOJ and, and White House counsel, you know, they're very cautious and guarded when it comes to immunity. They don't want to give up any immunity because they see it as potentially affecting, you know, their guy. Uh, but here, uh, in a historic uh, brief, the Department of Justice uh, agreed with me uh, that and agreed with the federal district judge uh, that this was outside the boundaries of absolute immunity. So we're awaiting a decision from the Court of Appeals. Uh, and then, of course, uh, it'll be appealed to the Supreme Court. But if we are able to proceed to trial soon, uh, we will go into depositions and discovery. And, and that's important because the January 6th Commission, as much progress as they made, they got jammed up a lot on fights between one branch of government and the other branch of government yeah. and some of the privileges that the executive branch was able to assert. I'm bringing this suit in my personal capacity. And so there is no branch of government dispute. And so Donald Trump would not be able to rely on any of those privileges. And other people like Mark Meadows and, and other witnesses to this would not be able to rely on those privileges. Jim Jordan, who has, you know, kind of relied on, uh, you know, some of his privileges uh, would not be shielded uh, in that fashion. So uh, we would, I think, get farther than anyone has is to finding out um, what Donald Trump knew 
uh, what Donald Trump did and didn't do as it relates to January 6th. Yeah, to be continued. You brought up uh, Jim Jordan. I'm going to talk about guys on the other side of the aisle. You, you've reading an old interview. You talk about how astounding it is to you that these guys, it's a Matt, whether it's a Matt Gates or a Ted Cruz, will say the most vitriolic things against you, tweet against you, outrageous, and then you see them in the hall. Because I always wonder what goes on behind the scenes. And they're backslapping you. Hey, buddy, how you doing? And that's pretty astounding that you equated it, a great, great analogy to the WWE, to Worldwide Wrestling. And that, that, you know, it's fake, and yet this is not fake. This is real. And, and that's what it took me so long to understand that it's not even personal for these guys that they would hit me over the head with a steel chair, you know, on Twitter or at a congressional hearing or on a Fox news interview, but I would walk into a restaurant and, and this happened, this happened by the way, the other night, uh, I was going to a dinner. Matt Gates was with the group uh, in a corner and he like waved at me and, and I was like, what the hell? Like he <laughs> scorching me left and right. And he would, I think even the next day go after me. But to these guys, it's just like, you know, we're backstage or um, we're off camera. Like, of course, we can like bro out and, and hang out. I think that's worse than Marjorie Taylor Greene, who, by the way, Donnie, if, if I walked into a restaurant and saw Marjorie Taylor Greene, she would give me a look of death that she would want to kill me. And I actually At least respect, you respect that. You respect that more. Yeah, I respect yeah. that a hell of a lot more because, uh, you know, she believes in her crazy. And, and these guys, Cruz and Gates and Jordan. To them, I think it's just it's angertainment, uh, you know, what they're engaging in. And, and, and that's great, except uh, if the fans, you know, who I call constituents, uh, if they don't, if they're not in on the joke, uh, then you get January 6th, right? If they think that uh, they're supposed to listen to what you say when you're in the ring uh, and carry out your grievances, um, it could get quite violent again. And so that's really my fear is that... Um, it's a very dangerous uh, entertainment experiment that they're taking on here. Well, you felt that firsthand. You're you and your family have been threatened. Uh, I, reading some of the verbatims of the phone calls that that have been left, voicemails you've gotten are chilling. Um, talk to me about how you process that, what you do with that. Uh, how do you keep your family safe? And I, I can't, as a dad, you said you have three kids, I have three daughters. I, I can't fathom getting a message like that. And uh, and. and- talk- my four-year-old uh, daughter recently um, at school was asked to draw, you know, her family and brought home a drawing. And I asked her, they had way more people in it than were in our family. And I was like, well, who are all these people? She's like, well, that's mommy, that's daddy, that's Nelson and Hank, her brothers. She goes, and, and that's daddy's security guys. And, and she's like, put the security guys who she has come to know. Uh, in, in the family picture, um, if the effort, though, is, you know, when you send a threat or we just got something at the house the other day, which is a first, we've never had anyone actually send something to the house. If the intent is, you know, to keep me quiet or, or to have me back down, it's, it's not going to work. Um, you know, I'll do everything I can, as you would, you know, to protect my family. Uh, but my fear is that until Republican leaders condemn the violence, they are essentially condoning it and giving it a green light. And, and, and the same thing with, you know, mouthpieces like Tucker Carlson, et cetera. And yes. Donnie, when Tucker had uh, five or six years ago, um, I took a lot of shit because uh, there were protesters at Tucker's house and they were harassing his wife. He wasn't there. 
and I tweeted out that this is just, this isn't what we do. We don't, we don't get in people's faces and, and harass them. And, and again, I, there's no love loss between me. And sure. Me, but I just, I just didn't like it and it didn't feel, yeah. um, it, but you have to condemn it, whether yeah. it's Antifa, whether it's, of course, absolutely. You know, absolutely. Kavanaugh, you know, having absolutely. violence yeah. committed against his family, you have to condemn it. Otherwise you, you give it a permissive lane. And, and we just don't see that on, the other side. And, and it's no. not to stop all threats, but I, I think if we were unified, that would be an antidote to a lot of these threats. You you had a great word, angertainment, and you kind of contrasted the, the Gateses and the, the, the Jordans or, or Gates and Cruz versus Marjorie Taylor, who actually believes it versus those that are. I, I always come back to the same thing with the Tucker Carlson's of the world. I believe that these guys are doing performance art. I, and we've seen as recently as this week, you know, or the, in the Fox, uh, in the uh, the Fox lawsuit, what they really believe and what they say on the air. And I wonder, how do these people look themselves in the mirror? I mean, these are people; these are educated people. I mean, I'm sure Tucker Carlson has. I mean, you know, he's got a lot of kids. I'm sure if I sat down and talked to him face to face, he would seem like a, a decent fella. Do they just get so caught up in it? that they start to believe it and then they convince themselves of it? Or are they not in on the joke and just basically, I don't care, I don't believe it, but I'm going to say what the fuck I'm going to say because it's ratings and that's it. I try to understand the the kind of human, the behavioral model behind this, both in terms of the guys in the media and some of the guys that you referenced on the Hill. It must be a platinum plated mirror, right? I mean, that, yeah. that must be what they're looking at. Um, and I think Murdoch, he, it was so telling in, in his deposition. Um, he said, it's not about red or blue. It's about green. Right. I mean, I, I guess yeah. this guy yeah. has, uh, you know, he's being brutally honest, uh, but it's just, it's just about the dollar. And I, I think many of my family members um, who supported Donald Trump, uh, if I could break through with them and, and show them these, text messages and depositions would be quite shocked that the people that are persuasive and influential to them don't even believe it. I, I, I hope that would concern them uh, that it's, it's, as you said, it's just, it, it's a steel, it's a fake steel chair, right? Like it's, it's a all, it's, it's a cult. You know, you, there is 20 or 30% of the party that even if you present it to them that way, go, look, the guy that's been telling you he's a hero here it is. Here's his own words. I hate him. I loathe him. He's, he's a sham. He's destructive. All the things. They would have an answer for that. Well, he had to do that. Or, well, that was taken out of context. It's it, just, you, you can't, it's very hard with a deep Trumper. And I'm very good at it. I will never say to somebody, what's wrong with you? You're an asshole. I start with, I understand why you voted from the first time. You know, Hillary was not a good candidate. He was an outsider. He you know, so I, you don't invalidate somebody. But then you go, will you give me this? Will you at least say that January 6th was, he was, even if he wasn't a strong straight line, he was sitting there and they just, there's always an answer. There's, a, there's an answer. It's just incredible. Yeah. It, it, a family member recently, um, a Trump supporter, when the Texas freeze went down, uh, this about, not recently, about a year ago, when Ted Cruz went to Cancun, uh, I asked this family member who works in, oil and gas, uh, you know, if they were affected by it because of what happened in Texas. And, and this person said to me, well, you know, it, it's because the Green New Deal was passed and uh, it was too cold for all the wind to work. Right. 
Right. And they weren't saying it to like own the libs. It was just what they, they believed. Yeah, the they believed. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. It, it took me about 15 minutes to explain that there's no Green New Deal in Texas. Uh, right. Where they have kind of separated themselves from any oversight. And, and this was um, the result of deregulation, et cetera. But it certainly wasn't AOC's fault. And they believed me and they accepted it. But Donnie, I don't have 15 minutes to go to every person (laughs) to explain this. Yeah. Yeah. What, how has, you know, obviously Pelosi has, her her time has moved on. But what I think Pelosi was so brilliant at, and the Democratic Party has been so good at, you mentioned AOC, this is what I'm bringing it up, in that whichever party comes across as the most extreme loses. I mean, this country lives around the center, actually maybe a little right of center is where they live. And Nancy was so good at, call it the squad, or just the more extreme part of the party of kind of giving them their due and their need, but not allowing them to become the faces of the party the way on the other side, the extreme has become the faces. And that was a masterful job. And I'm not, I'm not putting down AOC or any of her contemporaries, but from a pure political point of view, it's not a winning formula if those are the faces of the party. At least not right now, not today in 2023. Everything that Biden did in the first two years that you laid out, um, he did with a plus four majority in the House and an even Senate, right? He, he had to deliver the infrastructure yeah. bill, the chips bill, the gun safety bill, the Inf- Inflation Reduction Act, um, et cetera. He did all of that with a plus four majority. And so it's a credit to Nancy's leadership that she was able to, you know, get members, you know, uh, who would be farthest to the left and align them with blue dogs. And we all were on board for this and oftentimes even bring Republicans along. But I think the the weakness of our party, Donnie, is that we have allowed Republicans, you know, to take an individual who would say something about police funding uh, and have that projected on every single one of us, that we all want to defund the police. Whereas we're very weak at, doing that to Republicans, right? So I think we stand too often on Mount Olympus and and think we're virtuous and and tell ourselves, well, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene doesn't reflect where everyone else is in the party. I mean, well, bullshit. Like it it was Republican committee members who put her on the Homeland Security Committee, right? She didn't put herself on, she got voted on that committee by our colleagues. And so we should do a better job of making all of them own the most extreme elements of their party. Every day that George Santos, you know, wanted international criminal is in Congress. Every single one of them should own it for not bringing up a vote to throw his ass out because he he's admitted to every lie that he has told. So why do we need an indictment if the guys cop to all of it? So we're just not great uh, at doing uh, to them, I think, righteously what they have done dishonestly to us. Yeah, I, I've said that so many times on Morning Joe. Make that I'm like, let's keep Santos around. Let's make it. He's one of the faces of the party. This is your Republican Party, and you know, let, let just just tar the entire party with that. These Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, Gosar. I mean, you, you, we can list the the Rogues Gallery of eight or ten or twelve that kind of really symbolize the 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 anger and extremism and toxicity on that side of the party. And it's a MAGA party. That's the party. That's not the wing of the party. That's the party. I couldn't agree with you more. Hey, I just want to go back a little bit to you growing up in Iowa and something that I read in the research that just so informed you, your dad, uh, 
in the policeman, a police chief, and how him getting fired really kind of informed you and, and kind of had a real impact on you. It, Donnie, it was, it was my first memory. I mean, my dad was a police chief. He had also, a, he was a canine officer. Um, like police life was his life. Uh, and uh, my first like, real memory was my mom and dad uh, talking about my dad about to be fired. And, and I remembered it because like, I thought like he literally was going to be put in a fire. And, and so that, that was traumatizing. I didn't understand what the term meant. Uh, I would later learn that in a very Iowa way, uh, this all came to a head uh, when my dad, who was hired by this police department to clean up corruption, would soon learn that the good old boys network there really did not want somebody to clean up corruption. And so in his first year, the, the town went from one DUI arrest uh, from the previous year to like 40. And it wasn't because they developed a you know drinking and driving problem. Sure. My dad just was of the mindset that you just don't look the other way. Uh, there was a local burglary ring that he cracked. Uh, everyone was tired of having their houses burglarized. But when it turned out to be uh, teenage kids of some of the good old boy network, they didn't want my dad you know, to go hard uh, on the juveniles. Uh, but in a very Iowa way, it was the county fair uh, where the mayor and council members had parked in the fire lane. And my dad told the fire chief, you know, these guys can't park there. And, and the chief said, well, these guys are insisting that they can. And so my dad was called to the carpet by the council, by the mayor, and um, was told, get rid of the tickets or you're going to lose your job. And he refused. He held firm, lost his job, and our little family uh, packed up and moved out west uh, where we end up staying. And, and to my dad, um, even to this day, he doesn't like talking about it because he's embarrassed that like kind of, a, you know, as a man, as a provider, yeah, like, yeah. I lost my job. And, and that's the worst thing you can do as a provider. To me, it was kind of the foundation of integrity yes. uh, that would guide me for the rest of my life. Yeah, that story really moved me. Hey, before we go, the premise of this show is that kind of everybody and everything today is a brand. Every politician, yep. every athlete, every corporation. So what, what's what's the Eric Swalwell brand? Uh, Donnie, I, I would say it's standing up for what's right. Um, it, it's someone who doesn't go, I don't go looking for a fight, uh, but you know, if I see someone being bullied, you know, I'm going to stand up uh, for them. But I came from a family of police officers and was the first in the family to go to college. And so I believe in America, like if you work hard, you do better for yourself and dream bigger for your kids. And so it's the freedom to dream uh, idea that still has to be available uh, to anyone from anywhere, regardless of what their parents did and, and who they love, worship, uh, and what they look like. And, and so uh, if you work hard, you do better. That's the American promise. Um, but there's a lot of bullies out there, and I learned from my dad, who stood up for them when he was the police chief, uh, that you have to defend people against them. That's a good brand mission statement. Congressman Swallow, I really appreciate your time. Keep up all the great work. Keep fighting for the good guys. My pleasure.